it's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, how do I let go and let God? Coming up in this episode... Christianity often requires us to be accepting when the things we believe we should have in life are not there. The question is, how long do we have to wait before we nudge things along on our own? Can we be creative? Can we devise a solution that God isn't using? Or do we have to just wait? Now, here's Rick, Jonathan, and Julie. Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host for over 20 years, and Julie, a longtime CQ contributor, is also with us. Jonathan, what is the theme scripture for today's episode? Psalm 37, 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. Let go and let God. This simple statement is focused on faith and trust. Two fundamental challenges for Christians. We may think it's easy to have faith, but when we're in times of difficulty, the depth of our faith, our true faith, is revealed, and sometimes it's revealed as seriously lacking. We may think that we have trust, but when pressed, when we feel like we need answers or changes or insight, our trust becomes scarce while anxiety abounds. All of this can be depressing. We can feel like we're letting God down. The good news is that we're not alone in this struggle to let go and let God. Many of God's faithful had these same struggles. Because their experiences are recorded in Scripture, we can not only read about their struggle, but we can see how God's blessing worked in spite of their weaknesses. This popular phrase, let go and let God, is not a Scripture, but it still suggests an important question. How do we submit and let God control our lives? When are we to struggle through our trials, and when should we avoid them? Today we focus on Abraham and specifically on Sarah, his wife. Here is a woman who was blessed to be the mother of God's chosen people. She bore Isaac as a result of God's miraculous intervention when she was 90 years old. While we can and should marvel at her faith and the role she played in God's plan, we also need to understand the difficult path she walked to become so privileged. Both she and Abraham had to grow through time and hardship to let go and let God. I'll speak for women in different ways. We often try to control the narrative instead of waiting on God. Well, and what we're going to see in today's episode is, 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 is an equation of sorts. Time plus significant challenge can equal one of two things. It can equal tools of testing, or time plus significant challenge can equal tools of destruction. See, we choose the tools that we take when we go through significant challenges matched with time. So as we begin, let's begin with a basic premise of our faith. Before we get into the actual account, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is a great scripture to memorize and actually say out loud every time we wake up, because if we really believe as our baseline in his loving kindness, and that word means 
tenderness and consideration towards others. So if we really believe that the baseline is loving kindness and compassion, we can fortify ourselves to reframe the difficult experiences of the day. And what a thing to wake up to. God's loving kindness and compassion. So as we go through this and these lessons, we're going to focus on faith and trust. Faith is belief in that which we have clear reason to accept. So faith is the clarity of something that has logic. It has a reason to be believed in. It's not a wish. It's not, it's not a, a, a desire. It's something solid. That's what faith is. Trust is faith applied on a personal experiential level. Trust makes faith vital for our everyday experiences. So we need to have both trust and faith. You need to have trust built upon that strong faith in something solid, and the trust is the daily action required from it. Here's what we've got. We've got a story, and it's a story of Abraham and Sarah. Now, at the beginning of this story, they're called Abram and Sarai. And through most of the account, that's what we're going to hear, Abram and Sarai. We're going to drop in on their lives and see how faith and trust were tested in them. Abram was 75 years old and Sarai was 65 years old when they left Abraham's father's, Abram's father's house and went to the land uh, that God had promised. While there, the promise of a family was first given. It was given in a small way, but very significantly given, Genesis 12, 7. And we'll be reading this from the New Living Translation. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, the name Abram means high father or exalted father or father of many. And that's an ironic promise because Abraham doesn't even have any descendants at this point. Yeah, and, and that's where faith and trust are come into play. So remember that. Guy's 75 years old, his wife is 65 years old, no descendants yet given this promise. So let's move forward. Abram and Sarai went several years after this promise, several years, and had no children. After Abram pays tithes to, tithes to Melchizedek, and this is several years later, God again reiterated that Abram would be blessed. Abram responds to God with a measure of frustration that both he and his wife were undoubtedly feeling because time is going on. Genesis 15, verses 1 to 4. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will, be an, will not be an, your heir, for you will have a son of your own, who will be your heir. Now, Abraham assumes he knows how this will all work. Obviously, Eliezer will be the heir, right? Not mm -hmm. exactly. <laughs> and let's not understand, uh, underestimate, excuse me, how amazing it is for God to say in the New American Standard Version, do not fear, I am a shield to you. Abraham continually demonstrates his faith and trust in God, but God gives him these kinds of beautiful assurances. And see, there's something to be said for that. 
along with what's going to happen with God's plan for this time to pass, he's going to give faith and assurance boosters all along the way. And this is really important because these are the things that we need to be looking for. So God then makes his promise very plain because he just said, hey, you know, I'm taking care of you. I'm your shield. You're going to, uh, you're going to, your descendants are going to, are, are going to be real. Uh, and then God says, okay, because Ab- Abram says, okay, I've got, I've got Eliezer. This guy must be it because it's been years. It's been years. It's been years. And I've got nothing. So this must be what you mean. That wasn't what God meant. Abram will have his own son. That's what it says in Genesis 15, verse 4. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man, meaning Eliezer, will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. So God makes it plain. It doesn't seem kind of really logical. I'm an old guy. Okay, I'm going to have to go with that. Sometimes God's promises are like beyond what maybe we can understand. When God says, you know, I'll keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on me, we say, gee, that sounds like that's beyond me. I, so we, we hear a promise, but we're like, yeah, it seems like it's a little bigger. So sometimes we go based on our feelings. What, what do I feel I need to do now that I know what's been told to me? We see what Abraham was told, you're going to have a biological son. But let's take a look at potentially what his reaction may have been, but also what's our reaction when we're given something big that seems to be out of our, out of our league, so to speak. Julie, what I feel needs to be done from that very human perspective. Sometimes I know the will of God requires me to walk a specific path of obedience and sacrifice, and then time weighs heavily upon me. Things seem status quo, and I feel like nothing's different. Quietly, I begin to allow discouragement to creep in and subtly become lethargic, making no effort to change my circumstances physically, mentally, or spiritually. So sometimes we get to relax because time is going by, and quietly and subtly, we can become lethargic. This Look, our Christian life isn't always full of, look, God showed me this, God showed me that. It's full of, wait wait some more. So we need to be aware, just like Abraham needed to be aware. We need to learn to let go and let God, and I know that's not a scripture, but it's a great little saying. So when we say let go and let God, what we're talking about today is what faith and trust need me to follow. We're looking at faith and trust. Let's go back to Lamentations chapter 3. Jonathan, let's go to verses 24 to 26. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in him, The Lord is good to those who wait on him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. And trust brings expectation, not restlessness, Rick. Yeah, and it's important to understand that. There's an expectation, and with that, an excitement. It's not giddy, but it's anticipation. That's what we're looking to try and develop here. So we want to focus in on faith and trust, because there are two parts of what God is developing in us as he developed it in Abraham, as we'll see later on in the story, and Sarah. Jonathan, let's talk about faith. My faith in God reminds me that I follow God who is all-powerful, merciful, loving, and attentive. This is the most secure path I can possibly be on. See, faith reminds me 
that I am following the sovereign creator of all things. I cannot have better leadership. I follow God through Christ. That's what faith reminds me of. Great, you need to have that, but you also need trust to develop. So my trust in God develops when I accept that from God's perspective, time is a tool of extraordinary growth and not a tool of discouragement. From God's perspective, time is a tool of extraordinary growth, not discouragement. Time is a tool of trust. Rick, what tool do you use in carpentry to trust that something is straight? You use a level. And you know, the thing about a level is that if you don't have a level that is, that is, that is formulated exactly correct, you're going to be way off. I used to do carpentry work back in the day, and if you're trying to hang a door with a level that is not, not, not queued up properly, the bubble is not working the way it's supposed to, you'll never get the door to close right. There'll be a gap here and a gap there. And if you've ever done anything like this and you like the look of that little eighth of an inch line all the way around the door just perfectly, you better have the right kind of level that's working right. Otherwise, it's not going to be good and then you'll be mad. And how important is it to use the right tool? And again, the right tool produces the right result. If your only tool is a hammer, every problem is a nail. And this is not the way God works with us over time. That's what we need to be looking at and focusing on. Okay, back to Abraham. Eliezer's my heir. No, he's not. You're going to have a son. Well, it's hard to tell how many weeks, months, or years passed between what we just read in Genesis 15 and what we're going to read in Genesis 16. What we do know is that the frustration of being old, being promised to have a son, and having 10 years pass from that original promise with no results became overwhelming, especially for Sarai. Let's look at Genesis 16, verses 1 to 3. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. And I'll just interject, the name Sarai means princess. Infertility was a big deal both then and now, and many of our listeners know this kind of heartache well, and will be able to identify with the full range of emotions we're going to see Sarai go through. And incidentally, Sarai and Sarah, as she'll become to be known, is the most mentioned woman in the Bible. And continuing in our story, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And I'll pause here. Sarai wants desperately to have a child, and she knows about that promise to Abraham. So when she remains barren, she decides to take matters into her own hands and introduces her handmaid, Hagar, as a solution. Well, this opens a world of new problems. <laughs> now, now, let's continue with Genesis 16, verses 2 and 3. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. Sarai believes the promise of God, but realizes that clearly Abraham won't become a father in their present circumstances with her advanced age. So something had to be done. And this most difficult action of sharing her beloved husband in this intimate way, I think shows incredible humility and sacrifice. Yes, she ran ahead of the Lord, but it, it seemed to make sense. She's trying to do her part. She's sacrificing. Can we at least give her credit for good intentions? Yeah. 
good intention, <laughs> but absolutely wrong actions. Because here's, uh. here's the thing we need to understand, is that the model of marriage that Abram and Sarai had was the model of Adam and Eve, Noah and his wife. This is early on. This is before the law. This is before multiple wives and all of that. That, that happened afterwards. So you have this incredibly clear model, and it's desperation that says, we got to do something different. We need to step outside of that. That's what we want to be careful of. Now, look, we're going to see that Sarai, who becomes Sarah, becomes incre- is, is incredibly faithful. She is. But she got, right? You look at this and you say, you can't blame her because she's an old lady. Okay, let's, let's call it what it is. And she doesn't understand. So that's part of the lesson. Let go and let God. So, Julie, from that personal perspective, what, what I feel needs to be done. You know, in my heart, when things don't look right, here's, here's what I feel. Well, and I think this was perhaps what Sarah was feeling. There's a limit to waiting. Like at some point, I need to step up, change the script so things can move forward. And this change of script could include assuming solutions that I would not have previously considered. Time is precious. I need to fulfill that which I believe God has put forth before me. So let's take this to today. One of the most difficult questions is, do I wait one more minute Or does God want me to take action now? Should I go back to school and get a better job? Should I try an online dating service to find a Christian spouse? Do I find a new church? Do I move to a new location? There's a million questions we ask ourselves every day. So you're asking, when do we wait it out to see what God has in mind? And when do we actually do something about it? Well, it depends on circumstances. In some cases, we need to use common sense, the spirit of a sound mind, and pray and watch for his leadings. And that's really the key. Pray and watch for his leadings. And look, God gives leadings to those who are faithful to him. Sometimes they're not recognizable right away, and sometimes they take a lot of time. You know, Julie, you said that time is precious. Well, time in the hands and the, in the providence of God is a precious tool. Let him use the right tool. Sometimes time is the right tool, and it's hard, but it's worth it. We also recommend listening to episode 916, How do you know what God wants you to do? We talked about learning to discern and then listening to God's will for us in great detail. All right, important, important to put that all in perspective. Let go and let God. What faith and trust need me to follow? And every time we we, we bring this up, we're bringing up another scripture. Psalm 27, verses 12 to 14. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. There's so many scriptures that talk about waiting. And the reason there's so many is because it's so hard to wait. We want to wait and see his providence unfold before us. And what does that take? That takes faith and trust. Jonathan, let's focus in on on faith. My faith in God reminds me that my adversaries will always stand as a destructive detour to my loyalty to God. My faith also reminds me that I can be my own worst enemy, my own worst detour. We have to be really clear to be able to look in the mirror and say, am I my problem? And you know what, folks, more often than not, yeah, I am. I am my own problem. I've got to get myself out of my own way. My trust, you know, we've got faith that reminds us of these things. Well, my trust in God develops when I remember that faith can only be proven by actions. And my actions are 
personal choices that bring glory to God or glorify self. Godly action is a tool of trust, not just action. Godly action is a tool of trust. So think about it. Faith and trust are key elements in any challenging experience. Might as well put our faith and trust in God. Abram and Sarai's path that seemed logical obviously ran ahead of God. What could possibly go wrong? It can be easy for us to look at their experiences and shake our heads with that all-knowing nod that says, what were they thinking? We absolutely need to remember that the years of waiting and their obvious old age wreaked havoc on the principle of simply waiting. While self-directed choices made sense, they did show faith, but their trust, their trust doesn't, wasn't quite up to where it needed to be. They needed to learn a little bit more. Their trust was just a bit weaker. It helps me when I'm going through an experience to look back and examine other experiences where God helped or protected me. We just went through Hurricane Ian and had to repair safety measures in advance. But watching and listening to the news beforehand can cause anxiety. We had to look back at past experiences, how the Lord helped us in similar situations, and have trust that he was with us. Trusting in him strengthens my faith. And again, faith and trust. Let go and let God. It all works together. And Abraham and Sarah, they're still Abram and Sarai at this point, but they're teaching us this through their experience. So let's go back to them. With all that had happened, okay, you've got Sarai and Hagar's been introduced into the picture. With all that had happened, Abram and Sarai took God's promise into their own hands. Notice they had God's promise, okay, that's important. As we would expect, when we run ahead of the Lord, the results are always laden with challenge and strife. And Jonathan, you mentioned that last segment, and here's where it begins to unfold, Genesis 16, verses 4 to 6. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. And when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. So here we have her asking Abram as head of the household to fix this situation of Hagar gloating over her pregnancy. Continuing in verse 6. Abram replied, Look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Ouch. Wow. This isn't good. No matter it's how all you, bad. Yeah. No matter how you cut it, no matter how you look at it, this is not a good scenario. And so you see the strife that happens as a result of running ahead. We think we know, and we're a little bit desperate, and it's easy to understand the desperation. And here we have difficult results. And again, it comes back to that feeling of, what do I feel I have to do to make something work? What I feel needs to be done, Julie, let's kind of look at that in relation to this and ourselves. I make decisions that seem reasonable, and then things go sour. Often my gut instinct is to look at the circumstances and point a finger of blame to anyone but me so that my gnawing guilt doesn't overwhelm me. And we definitely feel better when we convince ourselves that it's someone else's fault. And I think here we have kind of equal blame. We've got both Sarai and Abram, because one thing that seems to be missing from this account so far is them asking for God's help in this. We don't see them taking this Hagar plan to God and asking if making an heir with an Egyptian maidservant 
was the way to go. <laughs> yeah, they never did that. Yeah, yeah, and and it's so important. And for us, this is a fundamental lesson of pause, consider by looking up, and that's often why God tells us to wait, so we can take time to pause, look up, and consider. God doesn't directly speak to us today, so we might look for some kind of indication for the right pathway. A door seems to suddenly open. We get advice from a trusted advisor like our brethren in Christ. We're trying to make the right decision. But isn't bringing the options as we see them to him in prayer supposed to be our first and continued step? Yeah, You know what? It's supposed to be the first step. And then you see these things happen. And then it should be the last step. Because everything we do should be encompassed by prayerful consideration and prayerful listening. Let go and let God. That's what we're talking about. That's what Abram and Sarai are teaching us. So again, what faith and trust need me to follow? What do I need to do to get myself in line to be able to let go and let God? Let's look at another scripture. This is in Daniel uh, chapter 3, 16 to 18. This is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, they're the, the three Hebrews with Daniel in Babylon, and they are in a position where they're supposed to bow down to this, 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 this graven image or be thrown into a fiery furnace. Daniel's not in town. They are before King Nebuchadnezzar. They're on trial for their very lives. Talk about let go and let God. Let's see what happens to them. Daniel 3, 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So their answer is, live or die? The answer is no. The answer is, I serve God and God only. And it doesn't matter. You can take my life, and that's okay, because I'm serving God. There's this sense of release by putting things in place. Why? Because they had extraordinary faith. Now, they said God can deliver us, and he did, but they didn't know for sure that he would. It didn't matter. What God did didn't matter. What they did mattered. That's the lesson for let go and let God. So, Jonathan, let's focus in on faith in relation to this lesson. Well, my faith in God reminds me that we are bound to follow the higher path of godly righteousness, even though it may not look like the end result is happy or good. Faith spurs loyalty. It does. And for us, we need to remember in all those thousands of decisions that Julie mentioned before, do I do this? Do I do that? Do I do this? Do I do that? Let us be prayerful and faithful as we consider these things. And then look to trust. My trust in God develops when I take personal responsibility for my chosen actions. I must be responsible. This means I clearly define what my actions represent so that I can clearly own them and their consequences. See, when, when, when Sarai said to Abram, look, something's wrong here and it's your fault. There, there's this frustration and that leads to finger pointing. Trust in God says, I can take responsibility for what I've done because I can put it in God's hands. Responsibility is a tool of trust. And when we have trust, we can better let go and let God. And I think patience is a big part of this, too, because trust is really hard to come by when we're impatient. I found a great quote by the author Liz Curtis Higgs. 
When we stare anxiously at calendars and clocks rather than turn to God, we're looking in the wrong direction. And that makes me think of one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. And that's the key. And when we're looking at this experience with Abram and Sarai, there was a Interp- an Im- interpretation happening of, well, because time has gone by, this must be God's will. Let me do this, even though it's outside of certain guidelines. Now, God understands. He gets it. It's not like they're bad. It's that they need to learn. That's what we're looking at here. So let's continue with this account. Abram and Sarai were special to God. They were. He's the father of the faithful, for goodness sakes. He understood. God understood their inability to see beyond their own physical limitations and was merciful. He was merciful to Hagar. Remember, last time we were looked at Genesis, Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she runs away. Well, here's what happens. Let's look at Genesis 16, 7 through 10. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. She replied, The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. So the angel here asks her two simple questions. Where have you come from? Where are you going? It's interesting that she only answers the first one. And I think the answer to the second one, where are you going, was literally anywhere Sarai isn't. (laughs) Even death (laughs) in the desert was going to be more desirable than living in that house. And reading further in Genesis 16, 11, it says, For the Lord has heard your misery. Here the angel tells her that her son will be named Ishmael, meaning God hears. Then something amazing happens. When you keep reading in Genesis 16, 13, she gives God a name, calling him the God who sees me. What a statement coming from an Egyptian girl out in the middle of nowhere. And interestingly, the water well she's at is named in Hebrew, Bir Lahai Roy, literally, a well to the living one who sees me. So what you see is there's faithfulness on the part of Hagar, and there's faithfulness on the part of God toward Hagar. You see that there's this mercy. The expansiveness of God's mercy begins to be revealed here when you're looking at the experience with Hagar and and her son. Even though Hagar was not God's choice for the development of his chosen people, God did make provisions for her future son to be a father of many himself. And we see that going a little bit further in Genesis 16. We drop down to verses 15 and 16. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. So we have this son, and you look at this and say, oh, when you're looking at it from through the eyes of Abram and Sarai, a promised seed at last. Abram is 86 years old. It's been a long time since that first promise, and now they've got this son. So and, and, and we know that Ishmael became the father of the Arab and Bedouin nations in history. So father of many, 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 many people throughout the world. The Genesis accounts records nothing for another 13 years. It's quiet. Wait a minute. More waiting? Yes. <laughs> Why? Oh, boy. So you learn to let go and let God. 
Abram and Sarai were left to deal with the results of their own thinking and actions. It's likely that during this time they became used to the idea that Ishmael would be this promised seed. It seems pretty obvious at this point. It seems like if it wasn't, it would have been a daughter, right? (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) But so this is what we've got. This is what we've got. So again, you look at what's happened and you look at the deliverance of Hagar and the ability for, for Ishmael to be born. And now, you know, um, he's, he's starting out his life and you've got this potential promised seed. So you're looking at this thing, huh, okay, maybe God's will is working along here. Maybe things are going the way they're supposed to. Again, we're going to go to that, that section where we think about our own thoughts. If we're in this kind of a circumstance, we're like, okay, it seems like the choices we've made are good. So what I feel needs to be, in, be done. This is about me, my heart, my emotions, and potentially what Abram and Sarai were, were feeling as well. Julie, go ahead. Yeah, and, and, and looking at you know, the issues between the two women, you know, when my decisions have led to hurting others, and results that cause me to want to have my blame shared, I've not only stifled my faith in God, but I've also smothered my trust in him under the heavy weight of self-preservation. So here the question left for me to answer is, can I, through God's mercy, see what I have done, or am I dedicated to this downward cycle? So in their circumstance, they had to deal with the friction. Because the friction is not going to go away. They had to deal with it. When we get into situations like this, we have to deal with what we have decided and where we have, where we have gone. We still have to try to let go and let God. And again, it comes down to faith and trust. What faith and trust need me to follow? Let's go to another text. Let's go to Psalm 37, verses 1 to 6. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. There's so much in this scripture about commitment and focus and clarity and trust and delight. It all comes down to where is my faith founded? What's it focusing on? So Jonathan, let's look at our faith. My faith in God reminds me that all justice, all judgment, all vengeance belong out of my hands and in God's hands. I can rest assured that no matter the time needed or the circumstances faced, God will always see that things are made right, even if it is not in the moment, but in the timeline of God's plan. And sometimes the timeline of God's plan is a long time. That's what we're talking about, waiting. It's always about waiting. So we've got faith based on the assurance that God takes care of things. My trust in God develops when I let go of my envy and anxiety. Let's pause there. When I let go of my envy and anxiety so I can again do good, envy and anxiety keep us from doing good. So I can again do good, grow in faith, and actually delight in my hardship. That's hard. It takes time to learn that. All of this helps me recommit to godliness. Again, looking at tools of trust, repentance and refocusing are tools of trust in God. This is what we need to learn when maybe we've, or some of our decisions have gone in the wrong directions. So the deeper we go into these experiences, the more profound the lessons regarding giving God his sovereignty 
in my life. So Hagar is spared and Ishmael is born. Now what? Does God use what Abram and Sarai had done to bless all? Well, we'll see. The overriding theme of this lesson is this test of time. We will see that many years will again go by and to the human mind, all seems to be settled. However, God's plans and purposes are always far above our own. This next passage of time is yet another lesson in faith and trust as Abram and Sarai are faced with accepting what seems obvious, that Ishmael is the promised seed. It seems obvious at this point. God always knows better than we do. You know, and that, that's a, a simple little lesson that you can say a thousand times and just brush over it. But that is one of the core truths of having true faith. God always knows better than we do. And his patience with us is remarkable. When Ishmael was 13 years old, okay, so 13 years from his birth now, when he's 13 year old, years old, God again speaks with Abram about his original promise given 24 years previously. This is a long time, 24 years. Jonathan, how long have we been doing the podcast? 24 years, brother. Has it changed a lot? Oh, yeah. Does it seem like forever ago? It does. 24 years, and he brings up the promise again in Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 to 6. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. Man, look at all God says 24 years later. Abram is humbled, and God is honored. Abram, we talked about his name meaning the father of many, is now Abraham, the father of many nations. There's an expansion here, a clarity here that didn't exist for 24 years. God specifically introduces to him how he and his offspring will be set apart from other nations. Now, we didn't read this, but he talks about the right of circumcision, and he introduces that right here while he's talking to Abraham. And it's something new, and it's something different, and it shows God's blessing. So again, we've got this name change, we've got the introduction of circumcision. When something dramatic like this happens to the positive, again, let's go to what do you feel like on the inside out? What did maybe Abraham feel like? What do we perhaps feel like when things seem to unfold in a, in a bigger way? Julie? Let's see if this sounds familiar. Sometimes in spite of my own restless reaction, God's blessing resurfaces and it's forced to the front of my mind. My gut reaction to this is to see it as a verification of all that I have been a part of as being blessed by God. I feel relief and assurance. And this reminds me of a quote by Ralph Waldo, Waldo Emerson that I love. All I have seen teaches me to trust the creator for all I have not seen. So God comes through. Surprise! Not really. But it takes time. 
the surprise is in that after 24 years, God is adding to this promise in ways that we didn't see or understand. Again, it's let go and let God. Faith and trust. What faith and trust need me to follow? When I look at Abram, Abraham's experience, what do I need to learn to follow? Well, let's look at 1 Peter, for the Christian, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 9. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of a sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So you have this sense of be humble, cast your anxiety upon the Lord because he does care. And these are the lessons that Abram turned Abraham had to learn over all of these years. So you have this sense that we need to resist the temptation, we need to resist the devil, we need to have our faith in the right place, put our anxiety away, so we can stand in faith. What about our faith, Jonathan? My faith in God reminds me that without living a humbly based life, the blessings that God would give me would be small, as I would have no room for them in my prideful heart. See, if you are not living a humility-based life, there's no room for big blessings because you're full of yourself. And when you're full, there's no room for something else. So we have to live humbly, empty ourselves so we can have room for God's blessing. That kind of faith gives us a position to develop trust. So my trust in God develops when I realize this humility is a daily way of life and begin a daily giving God my anxious thoughts and actions instead of dwelling on them. Daily, give them over. Because you know what? You give them once, and you know what happens? They creep back, and you let them in. And so we have to do it again and again. Just like that lamentation scripture, his, his, his faithfulness, his, his compassion is new every morning. Well, we have to renew our giving of those things to him. Each step I take toward this release is another step of trust, another tool of trust, Emu emotional surrender is a tool of trust. You have strong faith. You put emotional surrender on top of it, and you learn to trust in that faith. Let's continue. Let's get back to the account of Abraham. Next, God reintroduces his original promise of he and Sarai having a son. Now we're still in Genesis chapter 17. We've skipped down to verses 15 to 21. Then God said to Abraham, Regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai, from now on, her name will be Sarah. So Sarah now with an H at the end still means princess, like Sarai with the I at the end. But this expands as well to mean princess of the multitude or mother of nations. Continuing with verse 16, And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. He could, how could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. Well, it sounds like Abraham was worried about Ishmael and trying to express to God that it would be much easier to follow his own plan of Ishmael having the blessing 
rather than Sarah being pregnant in her old age. Yeah, well, 190. Those are not uh, spring chicken parents. Let's face the facts, okay? We're talking about old, and they knew it. And God is saying with great authority, this is what's going to happen. Abraham is faithful. It's obvious that he's faithful because God wouldn't come back to him all these years later and say these things. He's faithful, but what he sees is beyond his own understanding. It's like, wait, how can this possibly be? So he graciously offers God what's logical from a human perspective. Ishmael's already here. Remember, he's a 13-year-old. Look at him, young man. Yet God's plans are bigger than that. Here's what God continues to tell him. Genesis 17, now verses 19 through 21. But God replied, No, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to to a son for you. You will name him Isaac. And the name Isaac means laughter. And I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. And as for Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as you have asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. Well, Ishmael was still blessed under Abraham's household. He, was, he has a blessing of his own, but not the blessing is the promised seed. Let's continue with verse 21. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. So this statement of the promise is incredibly, undeniably specific. Physically impossible, but undeniably specific. And that's Abraham's reaction. How could this possibly be? And yet God has said it, and Abraham is a man of faith. So we have to wrestle with our feelings when you have something that big and dramatic pressed before us, and we need to do something. So Julie, again, what do I feel needs to be done when, when I'm, I'm faced with something this big being presented to me? After all the time that has passed and all of the decisions I've made, I am now faced with God's clear providence, so I can no longer hide behind my own thinking or continue to follow the conclusions of my rationalized actions. I now must follow in faith. I now must trust beyond myself. And Abraham's faith never wavered. He made a wrong decision, but always had faith in God. See, and and that's the thing we cannot ever forget. God knows his faith, but he also knows that everybody, Abraham included, have to grow up in that faith. And this 25-year test was helping him to grow into this man of incomparable faith. It's a great, great example and a great inspiration. Once again, let go and let God. What faith and trust need me to follow? Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 11. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there until watering the earth, and making it bear and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. And sometimes all of what God just said there in Isaiah takes time, lots of time. And for us to be able to accept that takes faith, lots of faith. Let's look at our faith, Jonathan. My faith in God reminds me that I see only what's around me and he is all-knowing. 
I am weak and he is mighty. I am captivated by my emotionally driven conclusions and he drives an eternal plan. There's a big difference between us and him. Let's understand that time is a great tool of his and our faith needs to be focused in on managing that time in a godly way. Managing it through faith brings us to trust. My trust in God develops when my attention to his providence becomes a deep appreciation that I allow to drive my thoughts and decisions. I need to let that appreciation drive my thoughts and decisions. That's faith in action. That's trust. I truly trust when I truly follow. But you've got to be following God Almighty. Loyalty is a tool of trust. So what God told Abram originally absolutely applied to Abraham later. Time passing simply makes God's plans greater. So Abraham has been specifically and unmistakably updated. What about Sarah? How will she respond? We can only imagine what Abram, who was now to be called Abraham, told his wife after this powerful encounter with God. Now, here's Rick's imagination in play. He comes home one day and after this, this talk with God, and his wife says, How was your day, dear? And Abraham responds, Well, God spoke to me. He changed my name to Abraham. He changed your name to Sarah. He instructed me to be circumcised. And oh, by the way, you're going to have a baby. Happy 90th birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Again, just, you know, when you realize the magnitude of what Abraham was told, it's hard to comprehend. Technically, the Bible doesn't say that Abraham told Sarah about how this baby would come about. Maybe he didn't have time or didn't want to get her hopes up or... Maybe there was so much trauma related to pregnancy in that household that he wanted to keep the information private between him and God. And in addition to the baby, God also instructed him about their name change and about circumcision. Genesis 17, 23 through 27 makes it sound like Abraham, Ishmael, and all the men of the household were circumcised right after that conversation with God. It doesn't say that Sarah was told about any of this either, but it does seem plausible that they would have talked. So a lot was happening. Let's just leave it at that and not not go into that any further. But a lot's happening in this change. And this change is massive. Name changes, physical changes, all because of God's plan. So shortly after this amazing encounter where, where Abram, Abraham, Abram's names to Abraham and so forth, three angels in the form of men came and visited Abraham. Rick, why do you think there were three angels? Well, we see later on in, in, in the context that after they talk with Abraham and Sarah, two of the angels go down to Sodom and Gomorrah to check it out as, as God's messengers, and the third one stays with Abraham and fellowships and talks with him. So there's three because there's, there's different works that need to be done through these mouthpieces of God. Okay. Now we're going to next drop in on the conversation that the angels have where the narrative will say, and the Lord said. So is the actual Lord God Jehovah his own messenger disguised as a man? Or does it mean that the Lord is speaking through one of these angelic messengers? Because it sounds like the Lord is going to be in the room. And how do we know? And it sounds like it. But when you look at scriptural precedent, he's always speaks through a mouthpiece always, 
always, always. And so it's, it's, it's a simple thing to deduce it unless you want to make something big and dramatic that's not true. <laughs> and so we want to understand this is God's mouthpiece talking with Abraham, speaking the words from God himself. It's, a, it, it's like being an ambassador. An ambassador is the mouthpiece of the government that they represent. That's what's happening here. So in this context, Abraham and Sarah are joyfully serving these three angels to the be- with the best of what they have to offer. In spite of their inconsistencies up to this point, their faith and reverence for God and his messengers is fully intact. It's inspirational how faithful they really are, in spite of not understanding everything. Let's look at Genesis 18, 9-15. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, There, in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, "Uh, After I've become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. So you have this story unfold, and you have this clarity of what's going to happen, and now Sarah hears it with her own ears, and it's beyond her. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. But poor Sarah, I mean, here she is past menopause. Physically, she's not going to have a child. And so after so many years of waiting for this unfulfilled promise, she dismisses this hard-to-believe idea of it happening now. I can imagine like her laughter that there's layers to it. Some of it, sure, maybe lack of faith or trust. Some was probably a knee-jerk reaction to how pregnancy would look and feel at her age. At 90? And maybe some... Yeah, and maybe some nervous excitement. But think about this. It's also possible that she didn't realize that the man speaking to her was an angel and that the Lord was listening. And she lied, we know, because she was caught off guard and afraid. And Abraham also laughed to himself in Genesis seventeen seventeen, but wasn't called out on it. And some Bible commentaries say Abraham's laugh was one of joy and delight, and Sarah's was one of distrust and unbelief. Yeah, I would tend to say that Abraham's laugh was had some of that doubt as well because God looks like he's correcting him afterwards. But the point is, this is unorthodox. This is not normal. This is not natural. 25, 24, 25 years before you have this promise and you're already old when it starts. Now you're, you're decrepit practically here <laughs> and, and God is saying it's going to be fulfilled. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's really what this boils down to. When God wants something to happen, he will make it come to pass. So when we look at a situation that's so unorthodox, so out of the ordinary, again, back to what we feel needs to be done. Sometimes I reflect back on the time that has gone by with mixed emotions. When shown the possibility of a blessing I had long ago written off as beyond me was still a potential reality, I laugh it off as kind of a dream. However, when God is ready to bless my feeble efforts, I need to step up and receive his gifts. You know, when, when you say that, Julie, I'm reminded of a very personal experience, and I'll make this, this quick, but, you know, many years ago, 
I changed careers because I was looking for a way to serve the Lord more fully. And by changing careers, I saw that pathway. And what happened was for the first many years of that, there was no extra time. It was like backwards. It was like opposite. It was like, Rick, what are you doing? And I began to think, I'm just, I just got to work hard to survive. I just got to work hard to survive. I just got to work hard to survive. And then one day, Jonathan calls me out of the clear blue and says, Rick, you're not going to believe this. We just have this opportunity to do this, this radio show. What do you think? <laughs> and all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden, all of that frustration melted away. And God, for me, it was an answer to prayer. But it didn't come the way I thought, in, in, in the manner that I thought, and when I thought. It came in his time. And so we need to understand that we just adjust when we see his providence overwhelm us with blessing and learn to embrace it. Let go and let God. What faith and trust need me to follow. One more other, one other scripture here. Let's go to Romans 8, 35 to 39. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So nothing can separate us from the love of God. And yet it says we're being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. You put those together and you see God's providence in a life given to, in sacrifice to serve him. This takes foundational faith. What about that, Jonathan? My faith in God reminds me that no matter how long or how hard I impressed or challenged or in a state of not knowing, I am always protected and guided by God's mighty hand. And if we can have that kind of faith, it brings us to trust. And my trust in God develops when I can look at the circumstances and the dilemmas of my life and embrace the fact that nothing is too hard for the Lord. This embracing breeds the courage to stand up and conquer any and all challenges. Spiritual courage is a tool of trust. Here is how this part of the story ends. God delivered on his promise to Abraham. God is dependable and trustworthy. Genesis 21, 1, 2, and 6. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. Well, think about it. Her initial laughter of distrust and disbelief turned to laughter of joy. That's beautiful. And here's an interesting fact that Sarah's the only woman in the Bible whose age at death is recorded. She lived to be 127 years old. So she got to see Isaac grow up into a young man. And again, what an incredible blessing for somebody who was faithful, who had a hard time in, but learned and was faithful at the beginning, faithful in the middle, and faithful at the end. Let go and let God. How do we, how do we fully embrace the lessons of Abraham and Sarah so we can ourselves let go and let God? Let's look at Romans 4, 16 to 22, because this is about 
Abraham specifically. It helps us to see him from a New Testament perspective. For this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are in or of, of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, in the presence of him who believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. So you have this sense, Abraham's the father of us all, the father of all faithful, because we're, we're, we're spiritual sons. Because Abraham believed God through his own doubts, he did everything that God asked. And that's what you see with Abraham all the time. That's the father of faith. Let's continue with the verses. In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. He grew strong in faith, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He worked through time as best as he could and learned what he needed to learn and did what God focused him on doing. And Sarah is honored as a hero of faith in Hebrews 11, 11. It says, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. That's the key. He is faithful who promises. That's what we, that's why our faith is focused where it is. That's why we need to let go and let God. So, so Julie, now that we've seen all of these things happening and all of that, you know, what do I feel I need to do? What do I feel I need to do? It all starts to change here because it's becoming very clear and very focused. What do we have? Yeah, we can almost see Sarah saying it's now become simple. What I need to do is to continually reset my heart and mind on God, the giver of all good things. I need to remember where my ultimate strength, courage, and patience come from. And if we're devoted to God and following in his footsteps of his son, Jesus, then we know that nothing can happen to us or ha or either happen or not happen to us that isn't in our highest spiritual welfare. Maybe we're being prepared for something specific in the future of eternity. Maybe there's lessons to learn, people we first have to meet, or a triumphant story of God's mercy and protection to be told later. And sometimes the hardest experiences, even if we don't understand them, teach us the greatest lessons when we look back and appreciate their value. To me, to let go and let God means letting go of the anxieties of not living up to what we could have done better for the Lord. This is too heavy a weight. Hand it over to God and start new every morning to do the best you can in doing His will. Pray, read His Word, and watch. You will be blessed. And there's such great comfort in that. And the scriptures are, are telling us that over and over again. Abraham and Sarah's experience tells us that over and over again. Wait on the Lord. Be godly in your thinking. Pray. Put it in order. Let go and let God. Here's what faith and trust need me to follow. Isaiah, final scripture. Isaiah 40, verses 28 to 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. 
he gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Who does that apply to? Those who wait on the Lord. Those whose faith is strong enough to to experience time in a way that helps them to grow. Last look at faith, Jonathan. My faith in God reminds me that his unfathomable power, his precise plan, and his never-ending love are what I am called to serve. Faith in God provokes godly service. And that's where trust comes into play. My trust in God develops when I wait for the Lord, no matter how long, no matter how hard the experience, no matter how much I feel doubt, He will deliver. Now, the deliverance may not be what I'm expecting, but He will deliver. Faith in God is the foundation for trust in God. And folks, that's what we need. We need both faith in God and trust in God. We can't live our life and just say, I have faith, and not live a life of trust. Learn from Abraham and Sarah. Learn that time is a tool in God's hands and not something to be restless with, but something to rejoice in because it's in His hands, not mine. Let go and let God think about it. Folks, listen, we really love hearing from our listeners. Welcome, We welcome your feedback and questions in this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Coming up in our next episode, Do I Walk in the Spirit or the Lusts of My Human Nature? Part 1. This is a big subject. Talk to you next week.